Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Do you subscribe? You should. All the cool kids are doing it iTunes or Google Play, all you have to do is find Syracuse Sports Podcast, hit that subscribe button, and every time we do a new episode, we will send it right to your iPhone or whatever smart device you prefer for your podcast. No matter how you got here today, thanks for listening. The Syracuse Crunch are starting a Hall of Fame. Former Syracuse Athletic Director Daryl Gross got paid handsomely to take the fall for Syracuse's NCAA sanctions three years ago. Chris Carlson will join me to discuss that. But first, a possible fairy tale ending. 42 years as head coach, 30 Section 3 titles, over 840 wins, 15 state championships, 11 undefeated seasons, 35 league titles, 52 All-Americans, 100 college All-Americans, a member of the National Lacrosse Hall of Fame and the National High School Hall of Fame. We could be here all day reading the accolades of West Genesee lacrosse coach Mike Masser. But there's one more to chase, a potential 16th state title, as West Genesee has advanced to face old rival Ward Melville in the Class A state championship lacrosse game, which will take place Saturday at 1230 at St. John Fisher College in Rochester. Masser, arguably the greatest man to ever coach lacrosse at any level, with one last shot at a title. Now, West Genesee has not won a state championship since 2008. They've won 15 state titles, but Coach Masser has also lost eight times in the state title game, and that fate may await him again on Saturday, as Ward Melville is a pretty darn good team. It's only fitting that this comes full circle. Since West Genesee lost its state title game in 2008, some feel that the high standards of West Genesee lacrosse were not met in certain years. To see West Jenny lose four, five, six, seven games in a season was unthinkable. But it also shows the expansion and the growth of the sport, that other schools in central New York and all across the country have embraced the sport and excelled at the sport. But West Genesee was always a bedrock, always a beacon of central New York lacrosse. Masser was always there with a legacy that will be unprecedented in the history of the game. When it was known that 2018 would be his last season, those that felt the old-school style needed to step aside were relieved. But many who appreciate what Masser has done felt sad because an era was truly ending. For it to end with a championship would be amazing. It's easy to talk about Mike Masser because he's been the one that's been there all along. But I think it's something that Mike Masser said that fits this more than anything. And it's this quote right here that he said after Wednesday's win over Lancaster. Quote, This is more about the kids. I've been there. I've done that. It's their thing now. It's all about them. It's going to go as far as they want to take it. This is their legacy. This is their season. Masir could not be more right about that. All those accomplishments I read off and some that I did not are undeniable. But this is about Ryan and Kevin Sheehan and Max Rosa and Ryan Smith and Noah Sabatino, Anthony Detellis, and so many other members of that West Genesee lacrosse team. This is their chance to make their own legacy, to give Jenny its first state title in a decade, and yes, to send Coach Masser out a winner. But it's also a sign that even with Mike Masser riding off into the sunset, that West Genesee lacrosse will forge ahead as successful as ever. Now my conversation with Syracuse.com's Chris Carlson, who wrote a fascinating article about what Syracuse had to pay Daryl Gross to go away. 
So we are here with uh, Chris Carlson, who is making, uh, I believe, his third appearance here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. And the reason is you're writing all this good stuff, Chris. We had all the tax documents come out, and we see what the salaries are, which was interesting because, you know, the first time we learned what Dino Babers is making. And it's always interesting to see what high-level people at Syracuse University are making because it's a private school and they don't have to divulge that information until they absolutely have to when we get these tax documents. But the case of Daryl Gross went a little further. So for those that have not read the story, and you should on Syracuse.com, give us kind of the bullet points of it and, you know, the, the Daryl Gross story for dummies, if you will. What was in that story and why was this kind of a step above the usual kind of tax document story that we do about salaries? Sure. Well, well um, you know, uh, obviously for, for folks that don't remember, three years ago, Syracuse had the, the NCAA investigation involving the, the basketball and the football programs. Um, shortly after Syracuse received penalties, um, Daryl Gross resigned or, or was reassigned to, to a new position, um, kind of a special assistant to the chancellor, which most of us most of the time think we know what that means, right? That's somebody who they don't want to fire because they've they've done good work, but they're kind of being put out to pasture, so to speak, to, to serve the rest of their time, you know, and, and then move on. It's a made-up title. Yeah, and, and and it's usually done to finish up a contract or, or maybe in the case of like a retired football coach or something like that to, you know, have them schmooze every once in a while with big money boosters and, and that sort of thing. It's usually like a face-saving, you know, move. Um but it turns out, you know, based on Syracuse's 990, um, which included a $675,000 severance payment um, to Daryl, and uh, we obtained a, a deposition um, that Daryl gave in connection to a lawsuit um, in California that, that he was not, he's not the defendant, he was not named, but he was just interviewed. Uh, but Daryl mentioned that immediately after the sanctions, Syracuse signed him to a three-year contract for the same salary he was making as, as athletic director. Um, so that's a three-year deal worth more than $1.5 million. Um, he spent one year earning that money. And then when he left, and there's no obligation of the school to do this, right? When you or I break a contract with Syracuse.com, we walk out the door and they don't have to pay us anymore. Um, but Syracuse decided to, to pay $675,000 um, because Daryl was making less money at his new job, um, which, you know, Based on at least how most salaries and contracts work, that was just kind of a uh, uh, here you go, um, which certainly seems very different than how everything was portrayed or what we thought we knew um, about Syracuse's response to the NCAA. There's a lot that, that comes up when, when you think about this, and your brain has to go back to a couple of years ago. And yeah, it was a long you, time ago. It, 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 it feels, <laughs> or it feels it. <laughs> it feels a long time ago, but in other ways it feels like yesterday. It's interesting. But one thing that was clear. Now, Jim Beheim had to sit nine games, and Jim Beheim lost scholarships. It's not like Jim Beheim escaped this, but yep. Jim Beheim's still here. He is. I think what people certainly remember about that was there was a clock ticking on Jim Beheim's tenure as head coach, and then that went away when Mike Hopkins went to Washington and, yep. and, and that happened. And there's a lot of other people that did not lose their job as a result of this. Daryl Gross did, got this other position and essentially took the fall for this publicly. But that this is what intrigues me about this whole thing, Chris, is something you brought up. Syracuse didn't have to do any of this. No, they couldn't. You're right. They didn't have to, they didn't have to set a retirement so, date. They did not have to move Daryl. So why? 
is the big question because nobody would go on the record on this, in your story right. to describe what he did in this position and why they made these decisions they did. And as you also see in Chris's story, there were you know there were financial hardships going on. There were buyouts going on at Syracuse University at the time. Weren't students protesting certain things financially? So you, you just take a step back and you say, for the guy who was put out there as kind of the public blame for what happened mm-hmm. in the NCAA sanctions. Why did Syracuse feel the need to take care of this guy very handsomely, essentially twice, Chris? It's it's mind-boggling. Yeah, and obviously I would love to know the answers. Um, would love to ask those questions and get the answers, you know, and, and I don't know. Um, I don't know if, if Syracuse um, didn't feel like what Daryl did deserved the penalty, but they had to do something from a public relations standpoint. Um, you know, a lot of people have just mentioned that, that once you reach a certain level in kind of corporate America and, and higher education uh, has become very much corporate America, unfortunately, um, once you reach a certain point, you get the golden parachute on your way out, no, no matter what kind of job you did or, or how people feel about you. So I don't know if it's that, um, but it certainly makes you think of, of these possibilities. Um, and, and you know, Syracuse is a private school. They don't have to answer, but they also have a lot of people that donate to the school. Um, they have a lot of season ticket holders, um, a lot of students that are paying a lot of money. Um, and I think those people have a right in many cases to know where that money is being spent. Uh, they certainly have an interest, I think, in, in where it's being spent. And that said, as a private school, Syracuse is only obligated to tell you so much. And, and the tax document is, is one way in here. But you just brought up a great point. I've heard from a lot of people that say, wait a minute, I donate money to this school. Where's my money going? And there's a billion dollar endowment that the school has. And it, that, that oversimplifies it. You know, if we really dug in the weeds here on the financials at Syracuse University, we could see it's a lot more complex than we're making it seem. But yeah, we, I, we only have like one, like one thousandth of the picture exactly. financially of that. But I, I, I think even so, knowing what we know, there's, there's a lot of questions about this. And I, I think one of my takeaways, Chris, and, and you tell me if I'm heading down the right path here. So, yeah, Gross was shamed in a way, but had a nice, cushy golden parachute, like you said, to go and now lives in Los Angeles and works at Cal State LA. I mentioned Jim Beheim, you know, had to sit nine games and got docked some scholarships, but they've also made a Final Four and a Sweet 16, and he still has his job. And right? the team's going to be good next year. And the team's going to be great next year. Ty's battle returns, and as, as we know, that team's looking pretty good. A lot of top 10, top 15 preseason rankings. So it seems to me the ones that really got, you know, screwed in this, for lack of a better term, are the kids. That 2015 team. Now, was that team going to make the NCAA tournament? That was iffy. That was the Rakeem Christmas team for everybody that remembers. But, hey, what we've seen Syracuse teams do since then is if they're on the bubble, that's usually good news. Like, they get in and they do damage. So the fact that Syracuse dropped the hammer and took that team out of all postseason play, it seems like they're the ones that got dinged the most here. Am I, am I reading that right? Um, no, I think I think that's a fair assessment. You know that Syracuse also, and, and this is kind of how NCA investigations often work. Um, lower level employees took the fall. Um, you know, Stan Kissel, Syracuse's director of basketball operations. Who, uh, you know, um, uh, secretary in, in Jim Beheim's office. So some tutors and mentors were shuffled out. Um, you know, and, and you can make of that what you want, right? Like, to, to some degree, those were the people that that. The NCAA found committed the acts, um, but there is something to be sa- said for oversight and culture. And, and what type of responsibility do the highest paid people in your athletic department have for that? And, and I don't know the answer, um, but but it, it, it's certainly a good question. And then you're right. If you were, remember that team, um, 
You know, they won a big game against Duke. They kind of folded late a little bit once once the sanctions were announced or once the postseason was out of play. Um, you know, I still remember kind of Rakeem Christmas just kind of like grinding through those last few games, knowing that the season was coming to an end when it was coming to an end. And, and that locker room and kind of the lack of excitement those last few games. Um, and those kids were robbed uh, of kind of a the excitement that goes into the end of a season. Whether you're NIT bound, whether you're NCAA tournament bound, you have that chance at the conference tournament. Um, you know, those kids didn't get to end uh, the season with kind of the, the excitement. They're the ones that had yeah. nothing to do with any of this. So that, that's No, they weren't, even there. they weren't even there. They weren't even there. Most of when it happened. Exactly. Yeah. So, Chris, uh, there was a deposition in there that Daryl Gross gave, and you mentioned, uh, for clarity, he was not the defendant in the case. He was interviewed for it. But yep. there were certainly some interesting things that he said in there, that there were letters that Syracuse University put out that basically, you know, supported him and, and mm-hmm. cleared him, if you will, if you want to look at it that way. There were some quotes in there he had about Jim Beheim that I think raised some eyebrows with people. It, it, it seemed like he was blaming Jim for some of these things that happened. What was your takeaway and people can certainly read the story and see the details. But what was your takeaway about what he said in that deposition related to what he did at Syracuse? Because it was like 700 pages total, and about 40 of those pages were about his time here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Daryl still believes that, that none of the NCAA violations were his fault um, and that all the blame belongs with, with other people. Um, you know, the, he, he mentioned Jim as the one the NCAA held responsible um, for the violations um, rather than himself, um, you know, he mentioned that uh, a lot of the issues with the YMCA and, and the drug testing protocol was set up by his predecessor, Jake Krauthamel, um, and he inherited it. Um, it also occurred during his, his tenure. So, so how quickly should somebody change the drug protocol at, at a new school? Um, how quickly should somebody get a hand? Is, is it fair to think that somebody should get a handle on these issues? Um, again, I think that's a complex question that without all the information, you know, I don't know. Um, but Daryl, who, who has taken the brunt of the blame, still thinks that he deserves none of it. And we'll end on that note. And you can read the story on Syracuse.com. Chris, great job as always, and thanks for hanging with us here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, it is almost summertime in central New York, so maybe hockey is the last thing on your mind. It wasn't last year as the Syracuse Crunch were participating in the Calder Cup Final, ultimately losing once again to Grand Rapids. We'll see if the Crunch can get back there, and given their recent run of success, it's not that crazy a thought. But 25 years of history is on our minds this week with the Syracuse Crunch. They are entering their 25th anniversary season, and one thing they're going to do to celebrate that is start their own Hockey Hall of Fame. Now, that can encompass a lot of things. There is a rich history of hockey in Syracuse, New York. But if we hone in on the crunch themselves, there are so many names that could fit in that first ballot. Certainly Brian Elwell, who was instrumental in bringing hockey back to central New York, would have to be on that list. Howard Dolgan, who has been the owner since day one, would have to be on that list. There's one coach that shines among many, Gary Agnew, who coached the Syracuse Crunch from 2000 to 2006, leading the crunch to the playoffs four times, leading them away from a stretch of doldrums under the Vancouver Canucks. J.F. LeBay and Carl Gehring will certainly go in at some point. LeBay, one of the most exciting players that Syracuse has ever seen at any position. There are players that are popular for what they do on the ice and what they do off the ice. And players like Eric Nielsen, woo, and Reggie Savage would fit that description. If you're talking about just pure scorers, 
Lonnie Bahanas, really the first star of the Syracuse Crunch. Brad Moran, still one of the leading scorers in the history of the franchise, would have to get in. What about those anchors that started out the Crunch at the beginning? A name like Scott Walker, still one of the most popular players in the history of the franchise. What about the leaders for the Crunch? Mike Angelitas and Zenon Kanapka are the two names that come right to mind there. Really 1 and 1A on the list of the greatest to wear the C on their jerseys here in Syracuse, New York. Syracuse fans have certainly loved those badasses over the years. John Morasti and John Baduke certainly stand out there. Baduke once climbing over the glass during a preseason game to stalk an opponent. Bottom line, it's great that the Crunch are finally doing this. Frankly, I've been pushing them to do it for years. When you go to the Carrier Dome, you see all those jerseys hanging of players that have had their jerseys honored. The Syracuse Chiefs have a Wall of Fame induction every year that honors their history and reminds us of who came before. The Crunch never really did this. And now, with their 25th year of professional hockey set to drop the puck, renovations at the War Memorial underway, a new era is forging ahead. But as the great philosopher Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. And the 25th anniversary season of the Syracuse Crunch is the perfect opportunity to stop, look around, and remember its past. In the meantime, that's another version of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe so you can get new episodes sent to you automatically on your iPhone or wherever you listen to your podcasts. In iTunes and Google Play, just find Syracuse Sports Podcast, hit that subscribe button, and it'll take care of itself. I'm Brent Axe. We'll talk to you next time.